Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Well, this is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm thinking about, I can't remember who it is that's uh, lit at the edge of tears. Uh -huh. I felt that way since we started. Mm -hmm. at the edge of tears. And I'm going to do something that um, is unfair to my teaching partner because it's not exactly what we discussed. <laughs> Improvisational virtuosity. <laughs> so I don't know that it's virtuosity exactly. <laughs> Improvisational. I um I want to do something a little different, and um, I'm going to beg your indulgence in doing it. I'm going to read to you. As I was saying to my teaching partner, my mind is a complete blank. This has never really happened before. And I'm now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> it makes him happy. All of us. So as a mindless leader, I realized that I've poured everything that I wanted to say to you into the book project I'm currently working on. Everything. Every reflection I wanted to give you. So I want to give you a little bit of a back, bit, bit of background. And then I'm going to share my screen. I hope this will work. And show you what we've been working on in our studio. So for our studio folks will be familiar with what I'm going to show you and read to you. But I wanted to, over the course of this intensive, give you the flavor of the reflection I want to give you of who we are. Um, and um, so this is why I'm begging your indulgence in a way. Um, I, um, I started thinking about this project about 10 years ago. I worked with Jeffrey Davis, who's my writing coach, in a week-long workshop at the end of which I realized it's just, it's completely unworkable. It can't actually be done. So that was a good place to start, actually. And over the years since then, I've written chunks of things and then I would abandon it because I felt like this is not the way I want to do this. And in October, I started working with Jeffrey again, and I had this idea. The reason this is so hard is that this story is not coming from me. It's really our shared collaborative endeavor. And I began to think about ways of including more voices from the Sangha, uh, more, more um, <clears throat> of the rich images that reflect. So what I'd like to do is, um, I'm going to share the screen. Don't try to read the things on the screen, but it'll give you a sense of how we're thinking about this layout, you know, the way this book is organized. Okay, so you can, you can see my screen? Okay. Yeah, you're All right, good. Good, okay. So, um, the working title for this book is not to the Apamata story. So what I'm trying to do is provide a kind of 
comprehensive view of what we've created together. So um, we don't really have a preface yet, but I loved this quote, the generous piece of writing, the asymmetrical piece of writing doesn't boss you or pull you. It creates many emptinesses, fills them in partly, inconclusively at times, and creates them again. So, <clears throat> one second here. Okay, so on the left-hand side, you'll see that there's kind of a running text, but it's not it's not an even coherent narrative. So Hi, you're, Joel. Come on in. Come on in. This is like looking at your a seat. Oh, your seat's here. Your seat's right here. <clears throat> I got mad. Bring my chair over there. Your chair's here. here. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> We're set for you. Here you are. We, we've been waiting for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I almost forgot. <laughs> That's all. We have uh... a. <laughs> that means you're going to be in detention later. What you're seeing here is like open pages of the a book. The spread yeah, of a book. Um, and we take this <laughs> title from this part of the Xinxia Ming for the mind in harmony with the Tao. All selfishness disappears with not even a trace of self doubt. We can trust the universe completely. All at once you are free, with nothing left to hold on to. All is empty, brilliant, perfect in its own being. In all the world of things as they are, there is no self, no non-self. If you want to describe its essence, the best you can say is not to. In this not to, nothing is separate, and nothing in the world is excluded. So I'm begging your indulgence because one of the things that will help this project a lot is if I hear it and um, and sort of share it with you. Um, so uh, so let me explain. Um, this book is about the history, evolution, and principles of Ahumada, a contemporary Zen center in Austin, Texas, with affiliated sanghas, communities of practice in England, Madison, Minnesota, and online. It is also intended as a guide and operating resource for our Sangha and other Sanghas. It can provide a foundation that orients and shapes the ongoing evolution of Sangha, now and into the future. Learn more at apamana.org. Our Zen practice at Apamana is what we refer to as relational Zen, and is based on the meaning of Apamana, the Buddha's last word, which properly translates as mindful, energetic care. In other words, in accord with the history of Chan, Zen Buddhism, we believe we wake up and grow up together in meeting, in relating, in genuine encounter, and in mutual care. In these pages, we have included not only the narrative history of Apamata and its unique organizational architecture, but the reflections and contributions of Sangha members in accord with our understanding of the collaborative co-creation of Apamata's evolution and story. A note about the format. You'll find the main narrative text on the left-hand page for the most part, and Sangha reflections, photos, and other images, quotes, poetry, maps, and diagrams on the right-hand page. So I've been sending out prompts to invite your 
participation in this project, which we hope to um, uh, post as a serial initially uh, before it comes out as a print book. So there'll be pieces that we can uh, work on and perfect as we go along. And those we want to share with you. We believe the contributions of the Sangha members and others illuminate and enrich this story immensely. Perhaps you're a new Sangha member or a new Appamata board member, and you'd like to understand this center better or to have a sense of its background. <coughs> Perhaps you are the leader of a small Zen group looking for ways to foster its development. Perhaps you are part of a large, larger Buddhist center and looking for fresh, whoops, wait, Yeah, fresh ideas or resources, or perhaps you're an editor or publisher of a Buddhist of Buddhist content interested in an entirely new approach for organizing and developing Buddhist sanghas. Perhaps you're a longtime Appamata Sangha member who's interested in filling in some gaps in your knowledge about the Sangha. And possibly you are interested more generally in organizations and their development and evolution and looking for unique and interesting models? If so, this book is intended for you. The overarching narrative on the left-hand page is authored by the senior teachers, Peg Cyberson and Flint Sparks, who have had the most experience with Appamata from the very beginning, and who are the principal architects of its evolution and structure. We are so fortunate to have come together in a unique teaching partnership with complementary skills capacities and experience. However, the evolution of Appamata is impossible to imagine without the dedicated practice, work, collaboration, ideas, and implementation of Sangha members who have helped Appamata thrive and grow, who have offered their time, effort, and financial support so generously. We have practiced deeply together, celebrated together, we did yesterday, grieved together, played together, laughed together, inquired together, and studied together for nearly 15 years as Appamata. Over 28 years since the first two tiny bands of earnest meditators began sitting at Live Oak Unitarian Church and in Flint Psychotherapy Office. You will find their reflections as well as <coughs> photos and other images on the right-hand page. Here is where we bear our souls and share that journey the way-seeking mind not of a solitary Zen practitioner, but of a whole Sangha of contemporary householder practitioners, immersed in everyday lives of family, work, parents, children, neighbors, and friends, technology, traffic, and civic responsibilities. This is our great joy. In telling this story, we hope to inspire other small spiritual groups and to provide a practical guide that can inform their own decision-making and development. It's not so much an instruction manual as a resource for envisioning, designing, and evolving a thriving, healthy, and resilient <clears throat> spiritual community. Along the way, we will describe what we did at Appamata, but more importantly, how we decided what to do in fostering the creative collabor collaboration that has brought people together to share their spiritual journeys and create a caring community of practice. We will also explore how the Buddha's teachings can be understood not only for the benefit of individuals, but for <coughs> shared practice, 
but for shared understanding and practice at the community level and beyond. The Buddha saw that his enlightenment could serve not only the handful of disciples that first followed him, but the society that was rapidly transforming from warring kingdoms into a dynamic network of cities and villages. This required a transformation of consciousness. The Buddha provided teachings designed for kings, ministers, and officials, as well as traveling mendicants and monks. In this way, his teachings have transformed whole civilizations and nations. Okay, so far? Seems okay? Okay. Although this book will focus on the evolution of a single small sangha in Austin, Texas, our hope is that it will help other spiritual communities situate themselves within a larger aspiration for transforming our society and a responsibility for spreading the Buddha's dharma of wisdom and compassion, ethics, connection, and care, so that it permeates the consciousness of every being in every place. If that seems like a vast undertaking, it is. But just as we Zen Buddhists take an individual vow to relieve suffering and liberate all beings, so our sanghas take an often unrecognized collective vow to relieve our collective suffering and liberate our societies from structural and systemic violence, cruelty, poverty, war, and more generally, our collective greed, hatred, and ignorance. No individual can even comprehend the scale of such a vow. It must be collectively undertaken, but it is so sorely needed. Healthy spiritual communities provide exemplars and beacons of light and sanity in that vast, terrifying confusion. The relationships and activities fostered in community serve as the medium for learning how to be together, sharing this path with appreciation for differences and engaging wholeheartedly in practices and activities for both individual and shared development, waking up and growing up together. Every teaching of the Buddha applies equally to individuals as well as groups, systems, and organizations. Furthermore, the most profound and subtle of the Buddha's teachings, such as paticca samuppada, dependent coordination, are much more easily observed and comprehended in the mutual activity and interactions of the group or collective level. So the community of practice becomes the medium for discovery and expression of Buddhist teachings at a whole new level. This book is part historical account, part guide, part introduction to helpful resources, part memoir. It is about the evolution of a wise and compassionate community supported by the scaffolding of the Buddha's teachings and the forms and practices of Zen. You can do this too. So I have here um, uh, a reflection from Ellen. I first walked through the kitchen door at Akamata on a Sunday morning in the early months of 2015. Can you read it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Let's hear your voice. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, I first walked through the kitchen door at Akamata on a Sunday morning in the early months of 2015. Peg and Todd were there smiling and made me feel quite welcome. Todd and I went to the side room for orientation. I asked Todd a lot of questions, mostly about how the Sangha functioned. I was pretty clear at that point that I wanted to practice Zen. 
due to past negative experiences, the most important thing to me was finding a healthy, happy, functional Sangha. Todd thoughtfully answered all my questions. He described exactly the kind of Sangha I was wishing for. But even more than that, it was my impression of Todd himself that led me to become part of the Appamata Sangha. He clearly had a mature practice. It showed in the way he moved, spoke, and interacted with me. I felt he was a reflection of a fully alive, fully functional Sangha. Following orientation, Todd and I sat Zazen in the Zendo with the rest of the Sangha. Sitting there, I felt I have found my home. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm so enjoying reading your reflections. It's, um, it's such a pleasure to hear the different voices and the different kinds of experiences. And my, um, my sense of it is that we can tell the story of Apamata is it this, in this narrative way, but you wouldn't have any sense from that alone. How did it actually impact people? How were people affected by the things that we were thinking about and doing? And, um, and so I think getting these voices of the Sangha into the book is really crucial for A, its credibility, and, and B, because it's a reflection of how we do things at Abamata together, right? In a collaborative way. It's a, it's a collaborative story that we're co-authoring, really. So, so that's the um, sort of introduction. And, and, and now I'm going to um, really beg your indulgence because I'm going to um, continue with what is really early uh, kind of, um, or we'll see my memoir, but, but everything that I've put into this sort of background, my history, um, is things that point to what we have learned and developed at Appamata and how Appamata has evolved. So, can I say something? Yes. Yeah. One of the things I think is important is that as you go through the things that mostly Peg is written here, it isn't, it doesn't say, look at me. It, it says, use this to look at you and use <clears> this <throat> to find a way forward. This isn't about an idiosyncratic, like, oh, isn't Appamata great? Yeah. That's not at all what it's about. It's like, here, here is a story with all of its um, flaws and highlights, um, but it's a way forward. Uh, and this is kind of how it came to be and what it, what it looked like. Because it's otherwise it would be just a memoir, okay? So what? Or just a handbook. Yeah, or like, oh, aren't we great? Which isn't the point at all, because it doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with this is a, a way this evolved that might be a resource. And what I've come to understand in writing is that the concrete particulars are what open to the universal. So if readers not familiar with our sangha get a sense of those concrete particulars that will help them envision what they want in their home way forward, right? Okay, so a bit a little bit of background. Um, this is chapter one before the beginning. What kind of spiritual journey begins with a young girl lip syncing hymns in the church choir? The choir director stopped the organ and once again called over her shoulder. Someone is off key, is that you, Margaret? And I'll tell you, since the other people in the choir had been singing together for 40 years or more, it was pretty obvious. <laughs> of course it was. But there were only six people in the choir, including me. They needed my body more than my voice. Insight? 
There's more than one way to make a contribution. <laughs> My grandfather, Gilbert Lamar, <clears throat> on here, so you see this, um, was a minister. And he had this tiny church in a small Wisconsin resort village of Fontana on Lake Geneva. He built it literally, setting local stone by hand, the foundation. And he visited his parishioners on foot, listening to them, listening patiently to their worries and woes, praying with them, tending them in sight. If you want a true spiritual home, you might have to build it yourself. I did not have a lot of contact with my grandfather growing up, but I felt his deep kindness in every encounter. And when my parents divorced and our family moved back to Fontana, I would attend that tiny Fontana community church regularly, lip syncing faithfully in the choir, even though he had long since retired to California. Maybe that's what sparked my interest in the spiritual path. My parents, though, were lapsed Unitarians, if there can be such a thing. <laughs> and we were a Navy family, constantly on the move and unchurched. So when I went to the University of Iowa, studying creative writing and literature, I took a course in the Bible as literature and a course in comparative religion, taught by the renowned professor George Farrell, who had written books on the Protestant faith. You can still get these on Amazon, by the way, even though this was many, many centuries ago. <laughs> it should come as no surprise that this course took a manifest destiny approach to religion, starting with paganism, then Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, and marching steadily westward through Judaism toward Christianity and ultimately Protestantism, the California of religions. We read original texts for each religion, which is how I encountered three pillars of Zen by D.T. Suzuki in mid-October. It was a revelation that shook my world. Here, finally, was a most surprising religion, one that depended on meditation and deep inquiry, not beliefs you were supposed to adopt somehow. And the outcome was not heaven or hell, but enlightenment. You go on ahead, I thought. I'm planting my flag right here. The rest is just hand-waving and fairy tales. Or, as one Zen teacher described it, milk to stop the crying of babies. There are two I began to study the Chan poets, and at the same time, I was actively engaged in the protests against the war in Vietnam. I blocked military recruiters, organized medic tents, wrote pamphlets and posters, got maced, got arrested. These protests taught me the limits of my own capacity to create change, to mend the world through anger and protest. Meanwhile, I became involved with the encounter group movement and became a student trainer for these weekends of college students bearing our souls under the benevolent neglect of psychology professors who were studying this phenomenon with its therapeutic potential and research papers. I learned there the power of honest encounter, vulnerability, and mutual care. I was idealistic. I started a commune, about 43 college students living together in an abandoned fraternity house. This was my earliest exploration of social organization as a full democracy, <clears throat> which resulted in many deep friendships as well as tedious and contentious four and five hour house meetings about trivial issues, unresolvable conflicts, struggle and strife. Speaking of freedom, should male students be allowed to lie around in the nude with their doors open, even if it offended some of the females? Can someone be compelled to take their turn washing dishes? It was a great teaching for me in what can fall apart in groups without shared principles, ethics, direction, path, 
practices or aspiration. What happens when egoic preoccupations, the self-centered dream, blinds us to the principles of mutual care? I was practicing Zen, or at least what I thought of as Zen based on my reading, since I didn't have a teacher or a spiritual community, a Sangha. I would continue in this hapless way for 23 years in intermittent solitary meditation, or what I imagined was meditation. Mostly it was just a muddle. But I longed for the peaceful, beautiful life of a Zen monastic in a proper Japanese Zen temple where I could at last become enlightened. Ironically, it was my sister who married a Japanese man, not a Zen practitioner, alas, but an international banker. And so I was finally able to visit Japan and the magnificent temples of Kyoto with their incredible gardens, Buddha halls, altars, calligraphy, flowers, and art. How I longed for that exquisite, peaceful Zen life I glimpsed there. Little aware of how much of it was utterly unavailable to me then, a woman and a Westerner at that. My guide, my sister's husband, was impatient, however, his head filled with international oil tanker leases and complex derivatives. He was a modern businessman, and this was an ancient, boring history to him. Up 108 stairs, down 108 stairs, a moss garden, a big altar, a 200-year-old pine with a tiny ancient man pruning it needle by needle, high up in its branches, another temple, and another. You can buy a postcard over there, he said, exasperated, as I stopped to snap a photo of monks chanting before a huge bell. Even at his furious clip, however, I was in awe. By 1976, I had fallen in love and married Bill, a wonderful extrovert, funny, with a great zest for life and a true creative partner. He had graduated as a landscape architect, so when we moved to a small farm in Wisconsin, we started a landscape business, Cybers and Landscapes. We worked very well together. He was an artistic genius who designed the plans and had encyclopedic knowledge of trees and plants, boulders, brick and wood. And he was a natural teacher loved by our crews. I managed the administration, estimating, bookkeeping, client communications, advertising and branding, and general support. So that was my introduction to uh, sole proprietorship business, right? That little farm with its chickens, marauding raccoons, horses, geese, cat and dogs, mice and barn swallows, along with our landscape work, was the beginning of my learning about interdependent living systems and the artful creation of natural beauty. Still, we had a lot to learn about running a business. We exhausted our savings and Bill's retirement in the first two years, primarily because he believed that you should just give away good work. That's when I came on to the estimating. <clears throat> we needed help. Ultimately, we found landscape consultants we knew we could not afford, but their first three days with us actually paid for their fee. The organic gro growth of Cyrus and Landscapes was guided by these expert consultants to great success. This taught me the importance of expert knowledge and guidance as you create and grow an organization. My son Ben was born there, see right there, and it seemed we would be happy the rest of our lives in that small paradise. The farmhouse. <clears throat> but in 1981, the country began to go into a deep and long recession, and our consultants advised us that our business would not be sustainable through it. That was important, painful information. We were able to sell everything and move to San Diego, where my mother lived. 
paradise was shattered. Our hearts were broken and we had no money. We had some very difficult times in that transition. That's the end of our <laughs> and so my question stay tuned <laughs> my question is would you like to continue to hear about this um, in the talks to come I mean this is actually what I have to share with you that's what I've got um, and I realized you know um, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this because as I said to Jeffrey this week I've entered the canyon of doubt so all writers know the Canyon of Doubt. In the Canyon of Doubt, the walls are high and you realize nobody is interested in this stuff. Nobody's gonna to wanna to read this. This is stupid. Why did I start doing this? However, you're in the Canyon. You can't go back, you can only go forward. You go forward with that same plodding sense that no one is interested and that this is a stupid thing to be doing. But it's what you have. So, so far um, we have like there's about 50 pages laid out like this we're on page 18 um, and there's the whole rest of the graft which is now up to 342 342 book pages laid out in the book um, 192 manuscript pages in manuscript format um, so it's getting big and part of what it needs to do is um, get out in the world and have people respond to it so we can keep making it better. That's part of uh, why we started the studio, so we could um, forge this together as we forged our sangha together, right? And it's been so, so helpful meeting with studio folks and you know, looking at this as it's going along. So, so was it John Eric that just visited a center? Mm -hmm. Were you in Colorado? Yes, the Boulder Zen Center. Uh, yeah, would you tell that little brief vignette? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I practiced at the Boulder Zen Center a couple weeks ago, and I met with a resident, and he, I told him I'm from Appamata in Austin, and he said, oh, we adopted the council model from Appamata. Ah. Mm -hmm. So this Who knew? is, this is like my heart's desire, that the good oh. things that we've created here can be adopted by others and have a beneficial effect you know, in the world. Um, it's not the way I expected to have an effect in the world. And when I was younger, it was by protesting and marching and, you know, <laughs> railing against the man. Um, and, you know, then I got older and it was about having a family and creating an environment for, uh, you know, a kind of uh, beautiful work space and, and then I was an academic. So all of this was part of um, the path here and contributed towards what I, I hope, you know, will be valuable for you and for other people. But it's lovely to hear this, right? Yeah, it shows that someone's paying attention. I mean, I have no connection with that. Okay. None. Yeah. Yeah, one, of, one of my senior students in Madison just went to a uh, uh, a yoga retreat in northern Wisconsin, away from where she, the, the teacher she didn't know and a group she'd not been with before. And she said about halfway through the first day in, the teacher started quoting this, this teacher, Flint Sparks. It was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> anyway, so, we, don't know, we don't know how these things get out. Have no idea. <clears throat> so all we can do is like express what we have to express, right? This is what I'm trying to do. Keep caring for each other. Us. Yeah. yeah. So this is why I don't have a conventional Dharma talk for you. 
probably this week if you don't know this. Just it's um, such a delight, just like Flint said, um, it doesn't feel like it's about you. It feels like it's about us. Yes. It's very, very personal for me too. And I like the idea of us being in that canyon paddling through. <laughs> As a writer, you know the canyon of death. <laughs> oh, yes. It's always sort of when you're two-thirds of the way through, so you can't really, you know, like abandon it. Like a fool. Yeah. This, who on earth is going to be interested in this? It's just self-indulgent. Also, Peg, I think even though I've known you for coming on 20 years, so much of your backstory um, as we're sort of on this cliff now of being cut off in this serial, um, I sort of know how it's like ending, but, um, but I don't know where we're going next. Um, exactly. Though I have some ideas. Um, it so clearly the way that you presented it, um, is laying the groundwork for the themes that are going to come out with Apamata. So thank you for that, because there's no way for you to have this conversation with Right here, 21 people or 25 people, and then all the <coughs> online individually. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's partly um, I'm gonna confess to something. It's partly to legitimize the text for people who don't know us to understand this is this didn't all just happen arbitrarily. We didn't just happen on our social structure. We didn't just accidentally find a good idea. This has a background. It has a foundation. It has a foundation in what Flint and I have experienced. So the you know second chapter of it will be Flint's background, and um, and that way people will know this is situated. This isn't something that just you know fell off the turnip truck. And it's not um, build it and they will come. No. Let people show up and find out what they want, and then take one little step and, and see how that goes. Build the bridge as you're crossing it, basically. <laughs> but we're, we're building it together. Right? This is and this is what I wanted to um, express to the world, and what I wanted to reflect back to the sangha. So hopefully, that's um, that's and, that's how my vow is now showing up, I guess. And also, the other is not only not a self-centered little story. It's also not a um, a comparative polemic about any other way. Yeah. of having a center. Yeah. It's not like, well, this is the best one, and you guys, it's not about that at all. Yeah. But those are ways one could read it improperly, I think. So it's important to make sure we don't express it that way. What I was seeing in it was such a beautiful model of how everything in your life builds for the next thing. And so I found it very universal that all this stuff that you, a landscaping business, that you feel is throwaway, that it all adds to, to what is needed later. That's like when she says insight, and then you get the generality and they're like, oh, it was this particular thing, but then it's like, oh, what that means. Yeah, there has to be a reason for every single thing to be in the book. It's not just, um, here's what I remember from my past. Every, everything that's in here, and there's, there's, so there's many things that are not in here because they don't make any contribution to what we've evolved here. So that's what I've tried to include is just the things that show well, there's a little piece of the foundation there. There's a little, one of the little bricks, you know, from the foundation that showed up. Do we have time for Bridget to, she's got a hand up, that's a little Yes, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't see the, all the faces. Yeah. 
You see Nellie. <laughs> That's Thank it. You put your glasses on. There we go. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to express my deep gratitude, Peg. I actually found myself sitting here weeping because, you know, you sent out the prompts and everything, and I actually started writing one, and then I thought, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not experienced enough, and I'm not a writer, so I. But today really captured my, you know, just hearing Ellen's um, reflection, because I do remember very distinctly the first time I came there and how there was a part of my body that just sort of sighed and sunk into the chair and thought, oh my gosh, I'm at a place where I can come just as I am. And um, I just wanted to express deep gratitude and you offered to let people go back and I'm going to go. I'm going to start responding, and and it's also satisfying my curiosity. I thought, I've missed Peg. Where is Peg? What is she doing? And uh -huh. that I really understand, um, because I, I now I see how deep your process is, and I'm actually curious about who's part of your studio. But all of this will become clear to me later, and I just think this is just the right Dharma top, and to see you and Flint sitting side by side, and Joel on one side and Laurie on the other. I'm missing Todd, wondering where he is, but to see Ellen, you know, Ellen and I marched at the Capitol and we went after those children were killed at Parkland. We, um, I hope you'll include some pictures of us sitting in our white garments. Um, I just know that this is more profound than I realized and you've touched me deeply. Thank you. Thank you, this is very, um, uh, heartwarming for me. Writing is kind of a lonely task, as all of our writers know, you know, and you never know how people are going to respond. So thank you, thank you. Just quickly, um, yesterday we talked about how there were no bad parts, and I think that really connects nicely. Mm -hmm. There's no bad experiences yeah. in the sense that we can learn from them. Yeah. Each moment, yeah. life as it is. We'll get into that when we get to the joke part. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much for listening. Now it's, uh, you know, I, I can't even imagine what it was like to see this in some of the book. But, um, but in any event, thank you very much. It's very, it's very heartening for me to share it with you. Um, and it's stupid in a way because it's not finished. You know, we're still working on it, it's still in draft form. Like every life. Like every life. Um, and it's episodic. It's probably never going to be because I don't believe in this a coherent, smooth little narrative. You know, it's 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 pieces. So like our lives are. Anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's really I'm generous of you to indulge me in this way, and I appreciate it, all of you. Um, <coughs> so, so your service. Yeah.